Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. Josh Bashan. We've been pretty crop heavy in the last few episodes talking about how to take care of your wheat and looking at things to be concerned with when it comes to growing crops across Oklahoma. But I felt like in my you know, compadres here also believe that looking at our bull herd is probably going to be the next big topic we need to cover. And I don't know, we may discuss this in different ways over several episodes, and I'm sure we'll get different ideas from different aspects of the breeding program and how to best tackle getting our cows bred here early on in the year. Because you know, as we look at a lot of Oklahoma spring calving cow herds, you know, we'll be turning bulls out later on in the spring for that program. So Dana, preparing bulls for the breeding season as we go forward here, we have a special guest to help us with that. Would you like to introduce him? Yes. So we have my counterpart, area livestock specialist, Marty New. He covers the southwest region of Oklahoma. Uh, we work have worked pretty closely in a lot of different programs over the years. But today I thought I'd bring him on and we'd talk about uh, preparing for the breeding season with bulls. So welcome, Marty. Hey, Dana. We thought we would focus on just preparations for the breeding season rather than focus on the entire bull kind of development and nutrition. So we might follow with that, like Trent said. There's a lot of bull sales going on um, across Oklahoma right now. I The biggest thing I think about with bull sales is people go and buy these big, beautiful bulls that are tested and ready to go. They kind of, if you put them right on the cow or if you don't give them enough time to adjust kind of to their new environment, we could have some problems. Marty, have you seen that in your area? Absolutely. And I I think one of the keys to that is if you are going to buy a new bull or a bull to introduce into your herd, try to do it 60 to 90 days prior to your breeding season. That would be very key and critical to getting them adjusted to the environment gets him acclimated to your herd or your situation and creates a good starting point for that bull. Mm -hmm. I think nutrition is really important. So try to, if you're, if you're buying a bull, try to figure out what he's been on, what's his diet. I think a lot of people who are selling bulls would be happy to explain how they've developed that bull and kind of use that to match the nutrition that he was on and back him back down nutritionally. And so just, it's kind of how we ramp up finishing calves uh, onto a ration. We are ramping down those bulls to kind of get them more acclimated to what they'll be on when we're breeding cows. And so helping maintain their condition, um, helping to continue to develop them, but maybe you don't need so much bloom or fat. I know Trent and I were just talking about that. We like to see bloom and not necessarily fat, right, Trent? The marketing of bulls is probably one of the most fascinating things in the cattle industry because we're so concerned with how they look visually in the show ring. And they look more like show cattle when they come out of the show ring versus actual production commercial animals. I like my cows that I purchased almost look a little rough 
because I know that they're used to what they're about to, about to be introduced <laughs> to. And then you'll hear advertisement with bulls being, well, they're broke to the bucket. They'll eat out of your hand and things like that. And well, that's not necessarily good because I'm not going to be their best friend when they're out on in pasture. They may not see me for a few days at a time. So are they standing by the gate waiting on cubes every day or are they doing their job? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the things that really I think about from a marketing standpoint that you got to be careful of. Yeah, I think also, Marty, you made a comment earlier about um, the structure of the bull. Are they able to breed the cows? Are they able to are they in their athlete sort of uh, condition so that they can travel and and breed those cows efficiently? Right, because if they're not structurally sound, once we turn them out, you know, just keeping up with the gal herd as they travel across the pasture, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a critical point. And uh, like Trent was talking about having that show ring quality bull, a lot of questions we will get right after they turn them out is, hey, this don't even look like the bull I had mm-hmm. because he went from being broke to a feed bucket to all of a sudden he's turned out on 160, 200 acres to make it on his own in the middle of a breeding season. So there's lots of, he's going through lots of changes in the middle of all that as well. Yeah. So key is kind of uh, make sure that you get them stepped down, ready to go and, and have enough time. Um, I know some things happen, you know, if you have a, a bull that gets injured during the breeding season, you might be forced to put another bull out that has not necessarily been completely acclimated, but we want to, you know, prepare for that. But you know, 60, 90 days, I think that's a good, uh, guide point, Marty. So young bulls versus older bulls. What do you, what's your opinion on that? Well, and that's a good point too, because when you bring it, do introduce a bull, you know, kind of regardless of age, introducing them to other, to all your other bulls is important as well. If you are going to have multiple bulls in a pasture, kind of let them get used to each other, build a social ranking, so to speak, on who's going to be the more dominant. But when you do that, you need to keep those bulls separated by age groups as much as possible because mm-hmm. the older bulls are going to be more dominant than those younger bulls. And a lot of younger bulls can be ruined or even beat off so bad that they won't become a serviceable sire as a mature into older, more mature bull. Yes, very good points. I have heard of some of those kind of horror stories. Oh, they turned this one-year-old bull out with... 40 cows and there was another bull with him and and he just he didn't do anything and that's a really good point i mean bull cost is important you know you want to be efficient you don't want to have too many bulls around but making sure that the age groups are appropriate so i think also within that 60 to 90 days there's some things that we should also talk about that should be done leading up to the breeding season We've talked about putting bulls together as far as a social order goes, making sure they're structurally sound, and then getting to your vet and getting a breeding soundness exam done. It's very important. It's an evaluation for reproductive capacity and physical soundness of each bull. Make sure that you're putting out a bull that can definitely get the job done, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if he doesn't meet that criteria, it's a lot easier to fix before you turn him out than. A year later, when you start having open cows or or even just a few months later, if you start, if you preg check your herd frequently, you can eliminate part of the problem, but you're going to be way behind the curve. And if that hurts your defined calving season at that point in time as well. So that breeding sound exam 
can eliminate a lot of potential problems that could happen just from a one simple exam. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a risk management tool. Exactly. Like yeah. we would talk about in Ag Econ. Right, Trent? Well, it's a very scary thing to do, especially the more money you spend on a bull. Take, taking it somewhere to find out if, that it's no good is kind of a mental block for some producers, I would imagine. <laughs> they, they, want, they really want to assume that their $5,000 or $8,000 bull is going to be good forever. And the most problems we tend to see with those animals is the more bulls that they interact with, the better chance of them getting hurt. And oftentimes, the longest lived bulls and herds lived a very posh life. So you kind of got to think about your own management system. You know, are you pinning five or six bulls together for most of the year? And are they, they won't ever stop fighting. I mean, in my experience, (laughs) they might get used to each other, as you've said, but every once in a while, heads meet, a lot of turf flies and and, and invariably some fall down and and get their legs messed up. It's something to think about there. Uh, It's much cheaper to replace a $8,000 bull that, that won't breed your cows than it is to just hope and pray for the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like you said, they're going to fight no matter what. It's just what they tear up and when they tear it up is, is the keys to, to remember. So I think I heard somebody, some uh, professor, I won't say his name. They, he said after a bull gets to be about, after he gets through about three breeding seasons, he gets really stupid. And does some really stupid stuff. And I don't know if that's really true, but I have kind of seen that trend with producers having issues with bulls that get older and they kind of get cocky, I think. So, and then they don't like to stay home as much. And yeah, some producers will say once they get out, they're going to get out the rest of the time. So you might as well find them a new home. <laughs> like a ham, like between yeah. a hamburger bun. <laughs> exactly. Let them be. Let them become somebody else's problem. So yeah. Probably the best education one of my young bulls got recently. Is he's a little over two years old. I put him on this pasture, and there's a six wire fence, brand new six wire fence in between these two pastures, and I'm. I just knew getting bulls getting out would never be a problem again because of that. <laughs> and I went there one day, and my bull was gone. And I thought, what in the world has happened here? So I'm looking everywhere but this six-wire fence, right? Because I'm thinking he, he got out somewhere else. I get to this fence, and the top wire is busted. And there's hair and flesh. That's <laughs> brand-new barbed wire. So you can imagine this enormous bull going over the top of this thing. So I looked out across the neighbor's pasture, and there he was. And I called to him, and he must have got his butt beat so bad that he just immediately walked over to me to the gate into his pasture and ran back to be with the cows. And he never gave me any problem since. Oh, Trent, I'll do whatever you ask. Please don't send me back. Even at the bunks, he used to be kind of hard to get along with and would act like he wanted to run you over. And now he's just the most calm, gentle bull that I have. (laughs) Stay around because that big Herford must have just eaten him up something terrible. And he got an attitude adjustment the scars along his side going over that fence also <laughs> probably gave him something to worry about. So it is interesting how bull demeanor can change given yeah. the environment that they're in. Well, well that- one old timer told me once, he goes, I don't care how good a fence it is. When you have a ton animal on both sides and their heads are meeting, there's nothing going to stop them in between. So, <laughs> and That's I saw lots of amazing horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing how much they can tear up when they want to tear something up. So I know, I think uh, Rick Nelson, the Garfield County educator said that his, he had some bulls fighting Trent. Maybe you remember this and they took out like 20 some 
<laughs> wood fence posts, like on a good fence. And I was, I guess I was pretty impressed about how that was accomplished. I mean, geez, I don't know if a semi truck could like, blow through all of that. So probably I'm, best to see the aftermath because then your imagination <laughs> can run wild. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, we could go on and on with bull stories, right? I mean, everybody's got them. Maybe we should do an episode on that sometime. Just you know, some submit your best bull story. Yeah, submit your best bull story. <laughs> so that brings us to you know, talk about bull to cow, cow to bull ratios or bull to cow ratios, whatever you want to say. How many bulls will you need as you go into the breeding season? How many bulls are appropriate? And I think. Glenn Selk has really addressed this well in all the sunup cow-calf corner. And Marty, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a good rule of thumb to have cow, a number of cows on a young bull according to the months old he is, right? So say that in a yes. better way, right? That's not a very good way to say it. So if you have a, if you have a 14-month-old bull, a young bull, he can be on 14 or 15 cows. And right. that's until... Two years old. And then we top out at 25 to 30 cows. Right. For a mature bull. Kind of stair steps, 14 to 15 for a 14-month-old, a two-year-old, 20 to 25, and then mature, 25 to 30. Is kind of the way Glenn's always kind of said. And mm-hmm. I think you kind of read that everywhere. That's kind of the rule of thumb mm-hmm. I think everybody follows. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about bull rotation, and we will in a minute, but everybody has some different schools of thought. In the West, sometimes they push that limit, you know, as far as more cows on a bull, you just have to do according to your environment. So bull management during breeding season, the bull to cow ratio is a lot of times determined on more than just the number of cows, right? The terrain, the environment that that bull have to travel through. Of course, the age, we talked about the age of the bull. Then, you know, what's your length of your breeding season? Absolutely. if there's producers out there that are still doing like a 90 day breeding season, would one bull be able to take care of those cows in that amount of time or what? Well, and a lot of that, you know, will depend on your bull. What condition, like we talked about earlier, when he's turned out, uh, the libido of that mm-hmm. bull, like the fertility from his uh, breeding soundness exam, which naturally affect the sperm reserve that he has. And then like Trent mentioned, and we talked about earlier, we have to watch these bulls to check for injuries. That's that's one thing that uh, put in consideration in that as well. And I think that's where the age of the bull we're planning to turn out. A younger bull will have a much harder time with that 90-day window versus a, a more mature bull. Mm-hmm. Trent, what's your practice? I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't know if you want to teach people my practice. <laughs> <laughs> my breeding program being that I lack a lot of extra pasture, tends to be that I create a calving window by removing bulls for a short period of time as opposed to a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So my bulls tend to go in with the cows when I want them to start calving. And then they tend to come out right at calving or so, so they don't rebreed them right away. I really think that that's okay to talk about. Oh, yeah. There's producers out there that are under the same situation. And I put you on the spot because I know you're a little unconventional. But I think that there's a lot of people, you know, what do you do with that bull when you're not in breeding season? I mean, there's just so many things. How do you keep them getting in trouble? Well, it's like we talked about earlier. 
tends to be when my bulls live with the cows for nine months, they don't fight with themselves. <laughs> so they tend to live a pretty easy life, right, wrong, or indifferent. My calving windows are not perfect. That's that's for sure. So I, that's one of the management risks I take with that is mm-hmm. I, I know pretty much that all my cows are going to get bred. I don't necessarily know that all my calves are going to come in 90 days. So that's something to think about. But I can't, it can't be understated here that preparing bulls for the breeding season also means preparing your cows. The mm-hmm. success of your bull is going to be directly proportional to what am I looking for, Dana? The condition of my cow. Yeah, the condition of your cow. So, you know, as you're heading into breeding season, it's really important that the cows calve in, you know, a body condition score five. And I mean, if you're needing to recover uh, some condition before breeding, because you want the cows on a positive plane of nutrition so that they're coming into heat, uh, you know, as early as possible after calving. Absolutely, Trent, a great point. Uh, you could have an $8,000 beautiful, active bull. But if your cows are not in good condition, it doesn't matter how good he is. uh, They will not cycle appropriately. So definitely getting them in good condition for breeding. So that, that means like having them in good condition at calving so that they're not losing a lot of weight for breeding, you know, just maintaining condition or making it just a little bit, you know, on the upswing. Think about your cows, if they're in poor condition and, and none of them get bred on the first cycle. Well, then instead of breeding 30 cows, he's essentially trying to cover 60, doing everybody twice. So it's a two way street, basically. I mean, the bull can do what he has to do, but, you know, and, and that's that's the ultimate goal, I feel, is to, to have that cow giving us a calf every year to maintain a, a positive economic return as mm-hmm. much as possible. Yeah, it's hard enough to get a return, right? Right now. Exactly. If, if you're making a cow, having to take care of a cow that's not pregnant or, you know, is late all the time to calve, that really has an effect on your bottom line. Yeah. You can't think about bulls without thinking about capital restraints. You, know, you got so much money available to the, to the production practices. A lot of that goes into new pickups and trailers. I can attest. <laughs> Some of it goes into cows. The people love buying high-powered bulls. It makes sense. I mean, you're flexing that genetic uh, dollar, so to speak, over more animals by having a good bull. But if you're going to spend all your money on one bull and make him breed 40 cows, you probably would have been better off buying a half-price bull and having two of them. Just thinking about capital restraints and things like that. Mm -hmm. If you're not selling meat on the rail, the chances of benefiting from that high-powered bull become very limited for a regular cow-calf producer selling weaning calves. So there's something else I, I tend to think about from an economic standpoint. But well, and it, at that same time, that's where your rotation could also become a factor. Rotating mm-hmm. those bulls halfway through, that way if one happens to have an issue, or uh, mm-hmm. that way, you know, you're covering both sets of cows uh, mm-hmm. during that breeding season. So, you know, uh, the rotation deal is going to be specific to every operation. It's just kind of finding what fits best for your situation and the proximity of pastures, you know, whether you're side by side or miles away, that's something to also consider. It's kind of like a lot of other things. You have to make it work in your operation to be effective. Yeah, I think that there's been some research as far as the bull rotation, you know, using those mature bulls first and then the young bulls last. If you have the capital to have multiple bulls, if you limit the time he's actually breeding cows so you know it doesn't get hurt or or exerted that sort of thing 
And so two week segments, what did we say? You know, rotating those bowls out in two week right. segments, you could do that. There's a really a lot of good information in the beef manual, OSU beef manual. And I will attach the link to where people can purchase that. But there's a whole section on bowls and it talks about a lot of the things we've talked about. The thing I wanted to bring up before we finished is, you know, when I was growing up, we actually rented bowls from our neighbors who had better bulls than we could buy. We didn't have a big cow herd, you know, it was just run by my brother and sister and I, but that was kind of something to think about for smaller producers. I think it's, you know, like Trent, like you said, a lot of capital to put into a decent bull. You can get a decent bull for much less than $8,000. Let's all be honest, right? Even 5,000, you know, less than 5,000. Or you could, you know, make friends with your neighbor as long as they're, you know, managing their bulls appropriately, getting the breeding soundness exam, uh, figure out a way to utilize their bull. Or maybe they're in the off season. Maybe you have a fall calving herd and he's spring calving or, or vice versa, or they have more bulls and they know what to do with. You can just give one of them a home or two. So I think that is something that new producers or small producers could consider. Cause you know, from my standpoint, I don't have cows right now. And so I think about, man, I have to have a bull and find a place for him nine months out of the year. Like you said, Trent, Oh, what, do, what would I do? So maybe I'll just partner with you and I'll take one of your bulls off your hands and, and we can figure out some rents there or something like that. Oh, I'd love to. I'd put my legal hat on though and make sure that you have a breeding contract with that animal. <laughs> if, he, if that $8,000 bull breaks his leg on your farm, who's reliable? reliable for that and things of that nature. Good Definitely point. something to consider. But We've had some questions like that just recently, oh. Trent, haven't we? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, if you're on the hook for buying an $8,000 bull that then goes to somebody else's home, that might just cripple your, your <laughs> cattle enterprise <laughs> right from the start. Very good. Well, guys, we're coming up on our time together here. And I just want to get, Marty, I want to give you a chance to maybe recap three or four of the most important things you kind of have for producers as we, as we leave today. Like we mentioned, you know, just get them prepared for that breeding season, you know, with the, just kind of start with the breeding soundness exam. You know, if you are purchasing new bulls, you know, buy them in enough time to get them acclimated to your operation and your environment. You know, that 60 to 90 day window is, is something I would really focus on. And then also the final thing is, you know, your cow to bull ratio, get those numbers correct. That way you're, you're meeting the goal that you're trying to achieve, but, but getting those cows bred in a timely manner that, that we're trying to achieve. And then think about rotation. If you have that opportunity, that could be something that may fit into your operation as well. All right. Thank you, Marty. You bet. Well, it's, this has been a presentation on preparing bulls for breeding season, I'd say. <laughs> I'm, I learned a lot. I've also learned how I'm wrong. <laughs> that's, not, that's not out of the ordinary for a podcast. I tend to be the poster child of things I sh- that you shouldn't be doing. But if you do want to know what you probably should be doing or some best practices, feel free to contact your local extension office. There's a wealth of knowledge there. Marty joins us from the Southwest District, Dana in the Northwest, and all across Oklahoma. We can we can help you out when it comes to preparing for breeding season. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. 
If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with the educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.